This coverage of Inspired.Legal is brought to you by Legal Talk Network, with many great podcasts to make your next commuter workout informative and educational. To improve your practice and stay in the know, visit us at LegalTalkNetwork.com. And welcome to On the Road with Legal Talk Network. I'm Nicole Braddock, and you should really be concerned about Legal Talk Network because they've invited me back to host again. And as you will shortly learn, I'm very bad at this. Uh, but I do have a script, and it's going to be helpful. So uh, today, we are recording from Inspire Legal 2.0 at New York Law School in New York City. Uh, joining me now, I have guest one, guest two, guest three, and guest four, uh, also known as Carlos Gomez, Sanjay Kamlani, Lucy Basley, and Haley Altman. Uh, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's great to be here. Great to be here. Yeah, it's amazing just to be with such an amazing, inspiring host. I'm really right, good at this, right? right? Okay. Um, so before we get to our topic, please tell us more about yourself. Where do you work and what do you do? Let's start with Carlos. Hi, so I'm uh, Carlos Gamez. I'm with Thomson Reuters. I'm a client and partner lead uh, on a legal technology innovation team. However, I'm a bit of a jack of all trades. I've done anything from legal operations to corporate development to innovation program strategy, a product strategy, and even turnaround and agile projects. Excellent. Sanjay? I am the managing director of 1991 Group. Uh, I provide consulting services to law firms on legal innovation and implementation of new technologies. And I also advise legal technology businesses on scaling their business. And hi, I do exactly what Sanjay does, but in a slightly different way. Uh, now, I also consult with corporate legal departments on legal operations, innovations, legal tech, uh, and work with some law firms too on their innovation strategy. Uh, I'm Haley Altman. I am the general manager of transaction management at Latera. Um, we recently joined there after selling a company that I started called Doxley in the transaction management space, also a former lawyer. Mm -hmm. Excellent. So this morning, uh, this crew here was on uh, an unpanel. I don't know what that is, but uh, where we talked about a procurement and adoption of technology. And the goal was to think about how can we make it so that when we actually procure technology, it's something that people use and doesn't just sit on the shelf and we're spending a lot of money on it and nobody's leveraging the benefit of, of the product. So uh, I have some questions here. Uh, question one, Sanjay, I'm gonna ask you, uh, how can vendors help with the adoption of their technology when they're working with a law firm? I think there's a couple of things. I talk about one thing about minimizing friction, and the other thing is about helping law firms to identify bright spots. With respect to friction, sometimes the way in which uh, the technology is put on the platform or the pricing structure can make it difficult for the firms to adopt a particular technology when it's time to do so. Uh, so for example, products that have high upfront charges cause firms to shy away because they might find that people aren't ready to adopt right away and so they shy away from that upfront cost that causes friction as opposed to some technology providers who have a pay-as-you-go model so that firms feel like they have nothing to lose to put something on the platform so that people can try it when they're ready. Um, and in terms of the bright spot concept, I think it's helpful for vendors to explain to firms or in-house counsel their experiences where adoption worked really well 
and to help them simulate those types of experiences to try to achieve the same thing at their organizations. Excellent. And so Haley, you're on the vendor side. Uh, what is your perspective? How can, what are the sort of challenges that you face bringing your product into law firms? Um, where is the resistance and how do you help to smooth the things out so that the, your technology is adopted widely? Yeah, I mean, when you think about, I mean, there's different challenges from the procurement side of getting in front of them, showing the value, getting them to buy in. But then there's the, once you start, once you've, um, once your technology has been purchased, then you've got to really kind of take, um, take steps to say, okay, how are we going to like bring this technology in because, you know, technology in the legal tech space, we're solving complex problems. There's no um, easy button. This is not three clicks on an iPhone and we've solved it all. Like you haven't run a transaction in, you know, in two minutes. We we can improve a lot of the process, but there is a part where we've got to like sit down with the attorneys. And one of the things I actually learned today, I think in our group, I thought was the most um, really helpful is thinking we 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 say a lot change management and that, it, that makes it almost scarier. There's more fear for the teams that need to use it. But we're really just taking their processes and, and then mapping it to our technology. And so it's really, we're changing them along the way, but we just need to like kind of frame it and hold their hands and give them a little bit more guidance into how they can use it and leverage it and see success. Excellent. And and just some real talk here. What type of stakeholder in part of the, as part of the process is the biggest pain in the butt for you, like getting this, <laughs> getting your product into the law firm and getting it used successfully? Uh, I, I I mean I think there's it, there's always a dichotomy. Like a lot of the associates want to try it, but then they don't feel like the partners have said yes, you can do it. So they're so afraid that they're going to make a mistake for the partner, and then they're going to look terrible. So they're like, I don't want to. Not until someone tells me I can do it. And then the the partners are like, you can use it. I don't know why I have to say anything. So like, and then some of them are a little resistant. So I, I think it's almost that like getting people to know that they're being encouraged and enabled to use technology kind of from the top down sometimes is harder than getting the people to try it for the very first time. Got it. Carlos, my friend, uh, it's a nice segue. So how do we get buy-in from the partners? I think we, we spent a lot of time today talking about how the partners are a really, really critical part of this. And if we get adoption from the partners, then things are more likely to, to be successful. So how, how do we bring the partners in? How do we get buy-in from them? So I think uh, it all comes down to the question, the how might we statement that we ended up with in, in our team, right? Which is how might we uh, align incentives for uh, among all the different stakeholders and the partners are one of the key stakeholders in this adoption process. One thing that has worked really well for us is uh, the co-design process or having a co-design process where you're involving partners and I'll speak specifically about some characteristics about which partners are, are probably the best in doing this. But if you design solutions, first of all, if you get together and define the problem jointly and it's, it's really important to understand the problem from multiple perspectives, and you have not just the vendors, but also all the different stakeholders, including the partners in, in the mix, defining what the problem is and identifying incentives to resolve that issue. It's easier to come up with a solution, and then it's easier to adopt it. And in, in our experience, uh, you know, we found that the partners that have the easiest incentives or the incentives that are easier to align with are those that are in innovation committees responsible for digital transformation initiatives that are probably younger are, or, are, you know, they're equity partners, they have a stake in the business, but also that, you know, they're going to be dealing with the business for a long time and they're not expecting retirement anytime soon. And, and these are the partners that, yeah, at least, at least in, in a, in a co-design discovery uh, role, I've had the most success with. And the other thing is that these are the partners that also have the ear because it, they tend to be 
uh, mentees to the most senior partners as well, and and, and they're gonna they're gonna be your champions as you're rolling out uh, or deploying software. Excellent. Um, our segue game, by the way, is on point today. Uh, you mentioned co-design. And uh, you know, I, my me and my company were a little bit different because we're building custom solutions. So I think we get a lot more flexibility to make sure we're designing the right thing for the right user. But a lot of these products are are really much more focused on off the shelf. You know, bringing off the shelf products that you can tweak to your use case. But but a lot of the functionality is set. Um, so Lucy, I think one of the things we talked about this morning is how do we make sure we're solving the right problem? Because we can build, we can buy a solution and might not hit the mark for what the problem is, and then nobody's going to use it. So how do we go about doing that? So I, what, you know, having been in-house for a long time, what I discovered is that there were a lot of solutions being offered to me and being sold to me um, but for what people perceived was my problem and nobody was really spending the time with me to understand what the problem is, right? So how do you find out is you have to have the dialogue, right? So anybody who's a solution provider, whether they're in the business of custom developing, in which case it's obvious that you have to spend time to extract the requirements, but those that are trying to sell something off the shelf, what I discovered Discovered is there is a very, very little time that is dedicated to really ensuring that there's a fit. So from the vendor side, the experience was, of course we built this and that must be the right thing for you because of the high level problem that you've described. So I think what would go a really long way is if the vendor spends some time, as I think we've all been alluding to, everybody's mentioned some version of this, is spending some time with that potential customer and don't put the salesperson there, right? It's not a hard sell. It is really offering up some of the time to walk through the problem statement, and then having the fortitude, as we talked about earlier, to say this may not be the right fit, right? Being able to know that there are enough options out there to either recommend the right option, partner with somebody else for the right solution. I actually kind of call it honest tech. Like how do you know it's the right problem you're solving? Because you, have an, you, you are approaching it from really a core, authentic, genuine place to say we're here to solve a problem, which goes to the whole adoption issue. The sale is not the win. If we would stop celebrating the sale, right, from a technology provider perspective, and I keep saying we because I wear all these different hats at different times, but I've seen it, that celebration of the sale is so premature and misleading that we need to spend more time on the pre-sale to understand the problem, and then the post-sale to make sure that that problem is actually being solved. Track, measure, right, define, and, and all that. So there's a whole like thing that goes with selling the magic button that just right now is unfortunately not happening so much. Somebody mentioned this morning that they they set up their sales team to, once the sale is made, that salesperson becomes the account manager, uh, which I thought was a really interesting way to sort of ensure that the sale is, is a success and that the launch is a success. Um, Haley, do you guys, what do you what do you do as far as like change management and helping ensure the yeah. product is successful? Yeah, so we have um, a, an adoption team. So we have a strategic growth consultant that manages like the entire law firm account. Like what practice area are we in? What region are we in? Um, who are we going to start with? Who are those champions going to be? And then we have a set of transaction advisors that are more regionally focused and we deploy them. So like if, if you're a New York law firm, we can um, deploy in your New York office or your London office and they go on site and they actually provide that like on site, like hand-holding, like get you to decrease time to value. And so we want to look at it from a broad perspective. We should be measuring with you what are the goals, how are we moving towards success. Um, we should have a plan and, and we should measure and level set against that. And then we want to, to get to that success, we, we deploy other resources to help them. Uh, Carlos, very important question. Uh, if you could karaoke to one song, what would it be? I don't think I could karaoke to one song. I would 
probably pick a Mexican song, and I was karaoke a lot in Plaza Garibaldi in Mexico City the other day with live mariachi bands. That would be my thing. Nice. Okay. I was going to tell you you failed this episode, but I think you recovered. Sanjay, what, what song would you karaoke to if you karaoke any song? Shake Your Booty by Casey and the Sunshine Band. Nice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> okay. um, Pause for Nicole's laughter. <laughs> I'm moving myself away. Uh, Lucy. Dancing Queen. Dancing Queen? Mm, classic. Of classic. Um, well, I, I prefer my duet with Nicole for Total Eclipse of the Heart as Aww. my favorite uh, karaoke uh, moment. And by duet, she means she chooses to do the song, and I insist that I am a part of it and steal a mic from her. <laughs> yeah. And I, of course, with the classic, uh, everybody's favorite, uh, Hit Me Baby One More Time. Yes. <laughs> yes. Nicely All done. Right. All right, so I gotta, I gotta, gotta go back to my script here. Uh, proceed to closer immediately. Okay. Uh, well, we've reached the end of the road for this episode. I want to thank our guests, Carlos, Sanjay, Lucy, and Haley, uh, for joining us today. Let guests respond organically. Oh, <laughs> organic response happening now. Uh, I mean, this feels it, natural. It does. It, it feels does. good. If I, <laughs> I'm, you knew this would happen. If our listeners this. have. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. If our listeners have questions or wish to follow up, how can they find you, Carlos? Uh, my first name, dot my last name, at tr.com. Excellent. Sanjay? Sanjay.kamlani at the 1991group.com. I say LinkedIn. Lucy <laughs> Bosley, LinkedIn, please. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Haley Altman on LinkedIn. You can find me. <laughs> yeah. And I'm, I'm best on Twitter at Nicole Braddock. I will offer nothing of value to you, but, uh, you know, maybe you'll get some laughs. And also, thank you to our listeners for tuning in. If you like what you heard, please rate and review us in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcasting app. I'm Insert Host Name. Until next time, thank you for listening. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via iTunes and RSS. Find us on Twitter and Facebook. Or download our free Legal Talk Network app in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thank you.